0: Micah chapter 7, and Father, I just thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you that your word is is truth, and I thank you that you have given us the truth, and that you love us and have opened our eyes and our hearts to understand that there is a living God that created the universe, and there is a living God that holds each man accountable. And Father, I pray tonight that as we study your word, that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding to rightly divide it. Thank you, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah chapter 7. Wow, we're going to be finishing this wonderful book. Um, You know, I just want to make a comment. Uh, You know, when we were in chapter 5, it's just amazing to me how when when Jesus was, was born in Bethlehem, Even in modern times now, you have the Arabs arguing that he is, quote-unquote, a Palestinian. And, you know, even in modern times, this idea of where the Messiah was to be born, and and what lineage he was, uh, Jesus is not an Arab. He's a Jew. He was born of the line of David. He came through the promise of the seed of Abraham. His, prom, his goings forth was from eternity. God had it in mind of eternity past that he would send his son into the world because that's what God is. He is a redeeming God. He's a delivering God. So by that very nature, we must listen to him when he says anything about the Messiah in the scripture, let alone everything else. It's amazing to me how Herod, who was, uh, we had mentioned this before, was through the the line of the Moabites, actually. Is that that's. Edomites, oh, excuse me, I get those two mixed up. Thank you. And uh, it just is interesting to me. There's no coincidence in the Bible. You know, where where is this king to be born? Where is this child to be born? He sent out these these men to to uh, make inquiry, and they quoted to him Micah five two. I'll tell you where the king is to be born. And it wasn't a king of a certain location. It was the king of kings. It was the Lord of lords. It was God, the everlasting God, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, and so forth. He's to be born in Bethlehem. And God directly said, Yet out of you shall come forth to me to be ruler in all of Israel. A specific understanding of the Scriptures right there. A ruler in Israel If Israel has no further exaltation in the coming ages or in the millennium, this prophecy is short-lived. Because Jesus was never ruler in Israel. They crucified their king. So by very vernacular of this understanding, we must look at the scriptures as a whole. You know, and I I don't believe that Herod understood this. I believe Herod thought saw this child as an affront to his kingdom. But nonetheless, we know different. One thing I always have have looked at and marveled at, uh, Lord, I I am just so thankful I was born in this time. (laughs) Think of yourself if you had been born before the cross. Studying of the scriptures, trying to understand, asking the Lord, because the Holy Spirit at that time fell upon who he willed. Okay? He came upon whom he willed, he left whom he willed. Even King Saul. <clears throat> Samuel says, When you go to a certain point, you're going to be changed. And now there, the big saying went around that Saul is prophesying among the prophets. He came on who, who he will? Can you imagine before the cross, we're looking at these specific prophecies and wondering, but of you, Bethlehem, afraid, yeah, of you, it was little among Judah, among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of you, Bethlehem, smaller than small, will go forth to me, one to be ruling Israel. You know, I wonder when Jesus came the first time, they were excited. Is he going to set up the kingdom now? There was all kinds of excitement. There was, are, are we going to get the cam set up to get us away from this Roman impression? Are we going to have a king that 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 could give us everything? And it's those that were fed by five thousand, he left and he went over the side of the lake. One boat was over there, and they followed. Him. Remember one account. And he said, "Master, how'd you get over here?" And he says, "I tell you the truth, you didn't follow me because you saw the signs that should have told you that this is all about me. What you did is follow me because you ate the loaves and were filled." You have all kinds of excitement before the cross. But now, we've been born in this dispensation, this age, we look back, uh, or as Dr. Barnhouse you to say, through, we look back to the cross through the open tomb, and wow, we see these things happening. And then on top of that, we see all the fallacy out there. Where else are we going to learn the scriptures unless we are studying them, getting into them, going through them? I think everybody should read that book that you're trying to labor through, Leon. Wandering Stars. Keith Gibson. What a fantastic ministry the Lord has given this man. Exposing these supposedly new apostles, these these new prophets that are out there, that are leading your kids astray. The younger generation, they're going after the younger people. There's still a remnant of us older generations, older people, and that... (laughs) I'm young, okay, that have the truth, that have sat under good teaching, that have taught ourselves, that have been in the Word of God, but the younger generation, they don't know these things. Study prophecy? Are you kidding me? What are you going to study prophecy from a 2,000-year-old document that really has no validity for the 21st century? This is now, and so forth. And it's getting people by attention because now it's supposed to be the logic age. You know, we got to think everything out. And everything's logical, you know, and And, uh, we have prophecies here that only God could know that we are seeing fulfilled that are coming rapidly to the end. My wife and I were talking the other night how things are just rapidly, rapidly coming to, to a point they are now, you know, um. And the Lord hinted that when God starts his work on the earth, it's going to be a speedy process. It's not going to be something that he's going to take his time on. He has warned, he has warned, he has warned, he has warned. Uh, 2,000 years or give and take, 19-something actually. He has had the same gospel, <coughs> the same message, the same open grace, the, the, the age of grace, if you will, the same open arms, but this is happening to such a time, how do we know it's the end time? How do we know it's the end of the end? By fulfilled prophecy, we see these things happening to an alarming rate. Wow. Woe is me, Micah 7. For I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes, or I'm like a grape picker, like a vine picker. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts, the judge seeks a bribe. The great man, others his evil desire, so they scheme together. Now, I'm going to read through this chapter, but let me stop real quick. Does that sound familiar? One of the reasons that we'll get into the way we will, and, <clears throat> and I believe that God puts name right after this chapter, we're going to see that God judges sin. And when God judges sin, He does a complete work. And if this country and this world is not right for judgment... Um, I am fearful to think how much more right God's going to allow it to be until His judgment actually falls. Think about that. The best of them, verse 4, is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes. So shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. The reason why I bring up conditions today is Jesus quoted this. This is what's going to happen when, when those decide to walk with the Lord and those that don't. You're going to have problems. Verse 7, Therefore, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I love what C.I. Schofield puts it. It just mirrors what we've been talking about all through these prophets. Such is prophecy, the intermingling of the near and the far. You know? Therefore, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Now, we have to understand that the office of a prophet, this is what they do. Intercede. Daniel did the same thing. Remember back in Daniel? He interceded, O Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have a great high priest who intercedes for us. <laughs> it is no longer left to the sin-bearing soaked nation with a sinful priest although he might be right with God he has he is a fallible man with a fallible nation but now we have an infallible king Who intercedes for us? One who said, "I will, I will." Wow. Verse ten. Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, "Where is the Lord your God?" My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets or mire in the streets. In the day when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. The expanded literal meaning of that verse is that the borders, your borders, your the boundaries will be extended. We'll go over that a little in a a little bit when we get there. Verse twelve: In that day they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, or or more more uh, possibly from the cities of Egypt, from the rivers or excuse me, from the fortress to the river. And always, when you look at the word river like that in, in context, and in prophecy, we're always talking about the Euphrates. From sea to sea and mountain to mountain, yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it. For the fruit of their deeds, verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, you dwell solid... Uh, help me, somebody. Solidarity. Thank you. In a woodland, in the midst of Carmel... Let them feed in Bashan and Galeed, as in the days of old. We'll get a wonderful verse on that. 15. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent and shall crawl from the holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, verse 18, parting iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to our love. Our God is such a merciful God. Look at verse 20. You will give truth to Jacob, and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. When we end uh, Micah tonight, and we look at some of the, of the promises uh, that God had given Abraham way back in Genesis, and how that's uh, panning out today, There's an understanding that we have a God who is not pantheistic. He is not. I know that we know that, but I know that there's so many people that are getting swayed today of different ideas of God. Let me tell you what, God, He is not pantheistic. He is not in everything. He is separate from His, His creation. We've talked about that. And yet He loves it And he has entered, he has pierced time and entered into his creation and become one of us and died and took the sin upon himself, that his righteous law, his righteousness, would be vindicated through somebody innocently bearing the punishment of a lost and ruined creation. (laughs) That's our God. Well, Genesis, we don't need that. The Old Testament, that's, you know, I just. We just go strictly from the New Testament. Well, my friends, you have no hold on the New Testament unless you have a grasp on the Old Testament. So we get back to verse one. Woe is me! The prophet confesses about this truth. I am like those who gather summer fruits. Remember Amos, the fruit picker. He was he was a sycamore uh, gatherer. Lord Jesus does this a lot. He'll give his parables in, in everyday occurrences, you know, talking about fig trees or talking about a, a, you know, seed among the soil or talking about a, a farm or what have you, because you can identify with that. Woe is me, I'm like those who gather summer fruits, those who glean vintage grapes, but you know what? There's no cluster to eat. Of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. You know, God is God is so desirous that we would come to Him. Uh, we've talked about this so many times, and we see this through the prophets. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 2. Is this is the Lord saying, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness and the land that was not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase, they were tender. They were a, uh, they were an astonishment and a wonderment to this wonderful God that would pick such a a clan of people and set His love and desire on them. And not only that, He says, you know what, I want to bless you beyond all measure. I want to fill your feeding troughs. I want your calves to never stop uh, producing. Uh, We could go on and on. And here, the prophets coming to a head. After all these promises, after where the Messiah was going to be and the Messiah will reign, and all these promises of judgment... He is now saying what God is seeing all along in this adulterous generation. I went to glean those fruits and they weren't there. Verse 2 says, The faithful man has perished. Listen to what uh, excuse me, Hosea says. It's in chapter 9, if you remember this. I found Israelite grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But... They went to Behel Peor, who separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination, just like the thing that they loved. Wow. He goes on, verse 2, The faithful man has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. They were all self-indulgent. You know, it, it it reminds me of the fact that God is long-suffering and, and is not willing any to perish, but all the, to come to repentance. I want to read you something from Second Timothy chapter three. And we we should be in these these pages often, keeping our mind refreshed of what what we're in the midst of. But know this, Paul says, Timothy that in the last days, perilous times, difficult times, perilous times will come. We're in those right now, folks. If you, if you, if, I know you all know that. Men will be lovers of themselves. <clears throat> this needs no commentary. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, or irreconcilable. Slanders without self-control, brooders, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, hot <laughs> lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, that's not in the that's not in the church, really. In verse five, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I love the King James more forcefully denying the power thereof. I believe, and from such people turn away. What is light, how with darkness? We read Sunday about that great passage 2 Corinthians 6, or 1 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry. You know, and elsewhere, this is what the prophet was facing. This is what God is, is pleading with. And do you know that the Jews are His witnesses? Not only of the goodness and kindness of God, but also of the severity. Verse 3 that that they may successfully do evil with both hands. Wow. (laughs) God says, I gave them two hands. When I want you to give, not only to me, but to charity, and to to charity means beneficially seeking selfless love. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But my people, they're doing evil with both hands, and they're doing it well. They're practicing deceit. They're practicing immorality. They're following another god. They're following the Baals. They're following the idols. We see it today. I was just reading another thing on on, uh, um, on humanism. Different, you know, down through the ages, different titles, but it's still the same thing. It's basically, all Satanism is. If you've ever read or the copy of, of uh, the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey, that is pure humanism. Feed your appetites. There's no restraint on you, restraining is evil. Appetites need to be fed. If you have a lustful appetite, it is your right to fulfill it. If you have an evil desire, it is your right to do it. The prince is asked for gifts, the latter part of verse 3, and the judges seek for a bribe. The great man utters his evil desire, so they scheme together. One of the things today that they had on one of those uh, sites that I was looking at that people are mocking. By the way, these are recent. These aren't just things that are old. They are proclaiming still the downfall of Jim Baker way back. Remember when he was caught and doing what he was doing and he cheerfully made that profession in TV and all that? They're bringing that up now again. See, they don't stop at things that are old. They just keep bringing the mire in. And they use all these people... And they used the bakers for the extortion of the money. They used uh, uh, Robert Tilton of of his extortion. And and they go on and on and on. Who gets a black eye? The Lord Jesus Christ. The best of them is like a briar, verse 4. The most upright is sharper than than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend, verse 5. Do not put your confidence in companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. You know, I'm thinking that when I read that, I'm not trying to spiritualize the text, but I'm thinking of Samson and Delilah, Delilah you know. There's a spiritual principle there. We are not to be unequally yoked. We are not to to throw our pearls before swine. We are not to take what is holy and share with what is unholy. God has entrusted us with not only His very Word, but He's entrusted us, and we are to guard, Paul says to Timothy, everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are vessels unto honor. We are not to mix with vessels unto unhonor, dishonor. God said specifically all through his word, I have put my love upon you, you need to separate yourself unto me. Do not go in these practices, do not go in this way. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will do the things that I say. That is the test of all people of God down through the ages. It is so easy to get off course and say, well, you know, God's a God of love, and, and after all, uh, He does expect me to make a living down here. Yeah, I, you know, it might be a little bit extravagant, but, you know, and they base it on every kind of uh, excuse, everything they can do to get out of it. Where is the faithful man? Where is the man that shoots from the heart? Where is the man that takes the Scripture as it is and allows the Scripture to change him? That's how we love God. I don't care what anybody says. If you don't allow the Scripture to change your life and be conformed to the Word of God, you do not love Him. Does that seem harsh? Maybe it does to some people. But you search the Word of God. You that are listening on the Internet, search the Word of God and see if those things aren't so. To love God is to allow His Word to work in you, so that you might be conformed to His image, that you might walk pleasing to Him, how we know it pleases the Lord, His Word, not some new prophet, not some new revelation. God has told us, are you going to listen? Finally, in His Word, He has said that My Word is settled in the heavens. It is true from the beginning to the end. And yet he was weeping His people are going every which way. Look at verse 6. For a son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are those of his own household. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Household. You remember how in, in, uh, a few days ago we talked about you can't love if you don't have it. You can't give what you don't have. Jesus said that you must love me more than your wife, more than your kids, more than your ambitions in life. But that's not all. Once we do that, we find life. Jesus says that not to put a restraining influence on us, but to find life is to find Him. I cannot properly love my wife until I see the Lord Jesus Christ and He's number one. Or my kids or my finances. I want to be I want to be morally and ethically sound. And I want to do that with character that matches the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, everybody has character. I'm sure a lot of these people thought they had character. You know, I manufacture my character. We all manufacture character, whether we realize it or not. We all have what they call the Peter Principle that lives within us, whether we realize it or not, that says we all have a level of competency. And when we, when we reach that level, we usually stop there and live. God defines our character. Our character must conform to his word, not what I think is morally and ethically right. Are we willing to do that? And he breaks in the second part of this chapter, which I want to spend just a little bit of time on. I know that we we need to get going. This part of this, of uh, from 7 on down, is really an act of intercession and really what the prophet is seeing in the future to a man or a woman that is contrite and comes before his God and realizes that there is no life apart from him, I'm not. Therefore, therefore, we've gone a long way in this book of Micah. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And he's going to go on for the next couple chapters pleading and interceding for his people, for God's people. Let me say something right here before we go on. God always calls to repentance through the remnant. Always. God calls repentance through the remnant. In these last coming days, the remnant of the true body of Christ are going to ask the ones that have gone astray, the ones that are drifting off into apostasy, the ones that are going off of the track of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word, calling them back to repentance. It is a way that's always been. God has always worked through a a remnant. And a remnant is the real thing surrounded by the falsity, surrounded by those that that might look good, but on the inside... They are devoid of the life of God, or devoid of the truth, and walking in the truth. No wonder John says in his first uh, or second epistle, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." He is the remnant. Folks, we need to understand that there is a remnant in these last days within the body of Christ. Ones that stand on His Word. We need to pray for, do you pray for the the pastors and the leaders and the churches that are out there that are solid? There are those that are out there amongst the thousands that aren't. But there are those out there. God has those that that will refuse to go apart from the Word. They refuse to enter into these gimmicks. They refuse to uh, have more... um, desire for people and money and fame and and entertainment and whatever you want to think about that that's more interesting to them than the love of god the word of god it's like a tubby tozer said again and i'll repeat it for those that might not have heard it's difficult to let people or to have people come to church when the only attraction is god He would roll in his grave now, knowing what the churches are like today. But God still has his remnant. Always calling through his remnant. God will hear me. I will look to the Lord. Look at verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. (laughs) Uh, You know, it says in Proverbs 24, right? Even though the righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. That's our God. When I sin in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. You all know it, what, what Jesus says in John 8, 12. To those that, that not only know the truth, those that are considering the truth, but he says, he spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God was calling them to light even back then. But you see, it shouldn't be any wonder to us because the God of the Scriptures is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who lived upon us and came to bring us to God who is light and in Him dwells no darkness at all. It's nice as I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him. There's that interceding. Until He pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. You know, there's a, uh, there's a precedent and there's a spiritual understanding between uh, Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. You cannot mess with the name of the Lord and harbor wickedness. God will trample it down in the streets, just like he did with Jezebel and Ahab. But Jezebel came to her demise in a most graphic way. I suggest that you all find out or read about what happened to uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare. What her demise was one of the most outspoken atheists of the 60s. They found body parts of her. (laughs) The world thinks that they can skate by without God. They think that they can trample upon His justice and His holiness. That's not the way it's going to be. Wow, look at verse 11. In the day when your walls are to be built, in the day the decree shall go far and wide. Or more literally, your boundaries shall be extended. I love this. The fullness of their land. I love this. Listen, remember when in, uh, in Amos we get this this text first, it's also echoed in uh, by James in Acts 15, but Amos 9 says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations which are called by my name, saith the Lord, who does this there is coming a time when there we will no longer look at a map if, if there is such a thing in the millennium and see the Israel that now is. No. No. It's, it's much, much bigger than that. We'll see that as we get into uh, verse 20. Wow. In that day, verse 12, shall come to you from Assyria, from the fortified cities, from the cities of Egypt, from the fortress to the river, the Euphrates. Wow. The Euphrates has has had a predominant place in the Bible since the beginning in Genesis. Wow. In that day, they will come to you. From all over the place, from the Euphrates, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain, You know, the prophets agree. Let me read you something from Isaiah 19. In that day, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Syria. And the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria and a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. God's going to bless the nations that that come to him, but who are they going to come through? His inheritance, Israel. Wow. (laughs) Yet the land shall be desolate, verse 13, because those who dwell in it and their fruit and for the fruit of their deeds. You know, back in chapter 3, uh, verse 4, it's when they, he was saying the same thing. He said, when they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. I want to know what's going to happen in the end of days. Let's get right down to this last section. Verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff. This is a change. You know, and, and as I look at this, in most of your Bibles, you should have either a in 14, or if you got the King James, maybe a, a kind of, the I don't know what they particularly call them, a little insignia, yeah. what have you. It is a change of understanding. We are now going from the promises, and we will get in the promises of land to the one who's going to fulfill the promise to the one that's going to be the king, to the one that's going to shepherd his people. Look at verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, who dwell... Help me. Solitaro. Solitaro thank you. In a woodland, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Galeed, as in the days of old. The king. Wow. Number in 5.4, he says, And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That was Micah 5.4. You know, Jeremiah has a lot to say about these prophecies, and a lot of times... Uh, like I've always said, God will pick up a prophet, allow him to lay his pen down, and pick up another prophet, and pick up his pen back up and carry on. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 19. Listen to these words I will bring back Israel to his home, and I will feed on Carmel and Bashan. His soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. Whom I preserve. Woe is to the man that preaches to anybody and teaches a false uh, word that the God does not preserve. God is a preserving God. When He starts, He's going to complete. I think, as I said before, by the time we get through Zechariah, that is going to be so... uh, um so understood Ezekiel chapter 34 is a a a wonderful chapter of the tenderness of our God Ezekiel 34:11 He says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they are scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them on good pasture, and their fold shall lie on the high mountains of Israel. There that shall feed and lie down in good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. Prophets agree. The prophets are shouting out. I love it. Wow. As in the days back in uh, verse fifteen of of Micah seven, in the days when he came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. Wow. I will show them wonders. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. Listen to what Ezekiel chapter 34 says about that. Excuse me, Exodus, I'm sorry. My eyes are getting crossed. Way back in Exodus, God says, and he said, Ah, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, or in any nation, or all the people among you who are, or who are, and shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. That was not only a, a prophecy that was fulfilled in taking them out of Egypt, going through the, the Red Sea and so forth. You know, like I said, if, if when they came through, if you look at a map, they could have gone straight through uh, Palestine, or the land of Philistia, if you will, which would have connected them right into the Gaza Strip and so forth. But they went down the peninsula, down the wilderness of sin. That's where they got the Ten Commandments. God led them through the wilderness and so forth. This is a a fulfillment of prophecy, but also a fulfillment of prophecy in the end, when he will do a work in not only his kingdom, but the nation of Israel, that all the world will be in wonderment. No wonder Satan is trying to destroy the promises that are given here. Verse 16, The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust of the serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is like a God? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. Wow! There is a remnant in the body of Christ. There is a remnant in His people Israel. Only a third will come under the rod of judgment and cleansing when Jesus Christ comes back. The remnant of His heritage. He is protecting and He is cleansing and He is preparing. And that's exactly what He's doing with His bride right now. Look at the end of verse 18. He does not retain His anger forever. That's our God. You know, that is our God. No wonder He admonishes men and women not to go to bed in anger. No wonder He admonishes men not to close out the day in anger. Our God is is a God that does not hang on to His anger. Because He delights in mercy. Look at the last part of verse 18. He delights in mercy. Loving kindness I think the NSB says Verse nineteen, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I don't have time to go over all of the the scripture evidence of, of that, but I just want to say one thing out of Hebrews chapter eight verse twelve. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and the lost deeds I will remember no more. We need to be versed in the Scriptures. You know, when we are saturated with the Old Testament, when we come to the New Testament saturated in the Old Testament, it opens up a whole new understanding. Our God is a God that does not change. You will give truth. I'll be, um, I'm, this is the last thing. I'll, I'll be done in a few minutes. This is absolutely wonderful. Verse 20, You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You know, I was going to read that passage from Jeremiah 31, but I think we know it so well. And if you have time, read Jeremiah chapter 31, but especially the latter parts, you know, the latter uh, verses on. He explains very well his faithfulness to Jacob, his faithfulness to Israel, but it's intermixed in the context with the New Covenant. It's all there in chapter thirty-one. Well, hey, you know what? Let's just go there real quick, just just so we can look and see, and maybe some of these things will become crystal clear. Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. Starting at verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, or by the hand, excuse me, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds. Write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Nor shall every man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saying, I will. The Lord says, Forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And then he goes right into that passage, 35 and 36, about the you know, uh, the absolute steadfast love that God has for His covenant, which involves His people, Israel, and you and me. Thus says the Lord, verse 35, Who gives the sun for light by day, the ordinances of the moon, and the stars for light by night? Who disturbs the seas and its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is His name. If... Those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord. Then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. The New Covenant. God deals with His people and with us on altogether a different plane. The plane He is the one that enacts. So, back in Micah, verse 20, you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 12 with me, and we'll end with these few verses. Genesis chapter 12. Looking at a, a few verses here. God is starting a, a line of his people, if you will, the Hebrews. You know, verse 1 tells us, Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. But what I want to look at, look at verse 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those, verse 3, who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are promises. God does not break His promise. What He said He is going to do. Look at verse 7. Order verse seven then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. As a promise, I will give this land. Go over to verse, or chapter 13. The specific things. Genesis 13, verse 15. For all the land which you see, I will give to you, and your descendants, or more specifically, and your seed... Forever. What does Paul say in Galatians? Now, I'm not talking to you about the send of being seeds, but to one seed, and that is Christ. I will give you this land and to your descendants forever, your seed forever. These are promises. Look on over to chapter fifteen, verse eighteen. This is the last one again. I'll be, I'll be, I'll end with this. Remember, i talked before about the boundaries. <laughs> wow, it is exciting. The whole world wants Israel to give up their land, give up their land, give up their land. We'll get peace. We can only get peace and give up the land. Any fool knows that that is not the case. They don't want their land. They want all their land minus the Jew. That's what they want. Genesis fifteen eighteen. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, you can match that directly in, in the description that, that is given in Joshua. What is the land? Well, let me first say to you, I would venture this, the river of Egypt... The river of Egypt is south. You remember how, how I liken the Canesh Barnea, kind of like the, the bottom of Texas of the United States? Kadesh Barnea is where the spies went up and looked out over the land. It was a venue where they could look out over over the land of Israel, so to speak. The river of Egypt. If you took, if you looked at a map and took a line straight across the Mediterranean, you can see where that river Egypt had started and it comes down into the peninsula. We're talking Israel is going to extend down there south. It is going to hit the River Euphrates, which is to the east which, correct me if I'm wrong, it goes through the, uh, the countries of Iran and, and that section east of the Mediterranean, all the way up and up into Lebanon. So you're going to have, instead of a little, little real, of real estate, you're going to have one that kind of looks like this, an extended borders. Israel is going to be glorious, and Jerusalem is going to be the center of it, and all nations will flow into it in the millennium. The nations that, that are saved, that come to worship the Lord their God. And how are they going to do it? Why should they worship this God? Because the Jew is going to be the witness. And in, in Isaiah chapter 43, God specifically tells the Jews, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord. There is no Savior but besides me. Come to me, all ye ends of the earth, and so forth. The Jew is the wonderman of the earth, specific boundaries that God has promised to His people. As a side note, no wonder in Joel chapter 3 says that God is angry with those that want to divide His land, because they don't take His word for it. That is His land. That has been promised to Abraham. In fact, that was promised to Abram before he was Abraham. Abram means a father of few, Abraham a father of many, multitude. No wonder the prophets cry out that the knowledge of the Lord will be as the waters that cover the, the sea. Our God is a faithful God. No end with this. The only way to really interpret the word of God is all through the word of God. We need to study to show ourselves approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or accurately handling the word of truth. I say then, as God cast away his people, this is Romans chapter 11, certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, Or do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am left alone, and they seek my life. Well, what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always works through a remnant. He is always pleading with his people through the remnant, through his church in the New Age times, through his prophets and his remnant in the Old Testament times. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. For it is by grace, it is no longer of works, otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer of grace, otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were ju- or blinded? Just as it is written God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Listen to this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure or excuse me, under their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will be their fullness? Wow. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, and save some of them... Listen to this, for if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will be their acceptance but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches are broken off, and you, being a wild of olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree? Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Wow. Wow. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. This is the understanding we're at today, brethren. Again, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, back, wow, we're back in Micah 5, 2. There's gonna be one that's gonna come from me that's gonna be ruler over Israel. And he was born two thousand years ago in Bethlehem. You know the Orthodox, a lot of the Orthodox Jews now are still looking for the Messiah. He's come. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away and from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Wow. And that's what's happening today. Israel's being regathered into the land. We see uh, alliances with with, uh, nations we've never seen before happening today. We see the capability of global war like we've never seen like today. On and on. The scriptures are being fulfilled. Father, I thank you for this evening and the study we've had. I pray that the richness of your word would would just uh, go down in the fiber of our being. Lord, that we would look at the world through the the lens of Scripture through your eyes, that we look at our life through Scripture, and we see how our life is a blessing, but yet we can lay in those promises, contented and restful, knowing that we are kept by a God who does not commit abortion. He does not put on probation. What he says, he will do. And Father, I pray that you would keep the foundation of life solid, strong, and we would stand on the word and the word alone, anticipating your return. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ, are you sure right now that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure that you will not face the judgment of God and be banished forever to a place called hell, which is from the presence and the glory away from the presence of God Himself in torment? Are we sure? Because if you're not, you can't rest completely and fully. You still have fear, and the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Because my judgment was heaped upon Christ, you know he'll wear, he'll wear the scars for all eternity of suffering. We need to be sure of this salvation. I think there's some listening that need to know that that might have been going to church for a long time, that might have thought they knew their Bible, that might have, you know, but they never were really sure. You can be sure now that you're are a sinner. We all are. The only difference between me and somebody that's dead in their sin is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am alive because Christ lives in me. I have a future. I have a hope. I know that my sins are forgiven, that whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord's. I know that when I get, when I die and I stand before him, I am not going to be condemned for my sinful condition. I know that when I stand before him, I will be welcomed because he is my Savior and my Lord, and he longs for me to be with him. If you cannot be assured of this in your own life, you need to repent, which means to come to Christ and turn your life around and face him as your Savior. Face Him as the one who has taken all the punishment for your sin. He has answered for every awful sin you could ever do. He's answered for it. He was judged for it. He died for it. And He rose again, a new creation. And Peter said, that's our living hope. Because Christ rose from the dead, and He's coming back. And Father, I thank You for the Word this morning. Lord, I just ask that that those that, that are listening uh, by the internet or what have you, the Lord that they would, would say, in effect, God, I have sinned. I have not given you a second thought, I've not given you your due, and I have sinned, I've gone my own way, I've done my own thing. Not giving a I'm giving a hoot about the things that, that were important to you. That I didn't give honor and homage to the one who created me. That I didn't give you a second thought. But Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. And now I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for my sins upon the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. and He bids me to follow him, and I place my trust in him. And that I would know that I have a hope today, tomorrow, and the next day, because Christ rose from the dead. And God, I know that by that happening that you showed me that my sins are gone if I put my trust in Christ. And I receive that gift of eternal life and forgiveness now. And as Jesus died on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died for me so that I won't have to suffer separation from you, God, forever. Forever. I want to be born again. Ask him into your heart, into your life, as your Savior from sin. And that's exactly what he will give you, is a new life and forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray this would be the plight of us all. That we would understand your word and that we would rejoice in it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.